Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Julia Herman about the ethics of socially disruptive technologies. Welcome to the program. Thanks a lot. Uh, Very nice to be here. It's great having you. So would you be able to give us some background information about yourself? Yes, so I studied uh, philosophy and political science in Heidelberg in Germany. And after that, I did my PhD at the European University Institute in Florence in Italy. And it was about um, very fundamental questions in moral philosophy, really about how should we understand morality? um, To what extent can we justify moral judgments, moral norms? Is it possible to have intercultural moral dialogue? And I approached these issues from a Wittgenstein-inspired perspective. So I thought that Wittgenstein's um, concepts and thoughts and his later works were really useful for addressing topics in in ethics and meta-ethics. And because I fell in love uh, with a Dutch man in Italy, I moved to the Netherlands after my PhD. And there I have uh, now been working at four different universities, first as a lecturer, then as a postdoc, and now as an assistant professor. And my journey has, um, yeah, taken me to a technical university. I'm now at the University of Twente. And uh, so coming from this more traditional background, like more traditional um, moral philosophy, a bit more armchair philosophy, you might want to call it, I um, moved uh, into the domain of um, uh, philosophy and ethics of technology, which I find really, really interesting. And I'm now also yeah, working much more together with people from other disciplines. I'm also more reaching out to a broader public, working together with a speculative designer. So all things that I find really, really enjoyable. So what was it that inspired you to study the ethics of socially disruptive technologies? Yeah, so I had uh, started, I think, already during my PhD, but also afterwards to be interested in processes of moral change and the notion of moral progress. And partly, I think, because I met uh, philosophers of technologies and uh, science and technology studies scholars here in the Netherlands, I started uh, becoming more interested in the role of technology in such processes of moral change and progress. And um, yeah, and then... um, it happened that there was this huge, uh, quite huge um, um, research program that got funding here in the Netherlands that is yeah, where six uh, Dutch universities uh, collaborate. And I was hired as part of that research program, which has the title, The Ethics of Socially Disruptive Technologies. So this was yeah, it's a great opportunity for me to continue my, my studies. A lot of uh, possibilities for collaboration and yeah, um, I can here pursue my interest in the role that technology can have in um, moral change and hopefully, yeah, progressive moral change. So would you have a definition of socially disruptive technology? 
Yes, so I understand socially disruptive technologies as technologies that disrupt um, social relationships, institutions, practices, um, also yeah, social norms, and also fundamental concepts. So a technology that does not just affect certain changes at the surface, that we just perhaps do things slightly differently, but they have very deep impacts on human social life. But perhaps important to add that the idea is not that a technology by itself does this. It's always, of course, a technology used in a certain way, in a certain context. But uh, yeah, the, many of the new and emerging technologies seem to have these disruptive impacts or potentially have these impacts in, in many different domains and contexts. Now, your study has focused on an artificial worm. So exactly what is this? Yeah, so that is a technological device that um, resembles the maternal womb very closely and thus creates an environment for preterm babies to continue the gestation process without the need to breathe themselves. Because this is seen as a big problem with the incubators that are currently in use in neonatal intensive care units in these incubators the preterm baby has to breathe independently and this is, the, the lungs are not uh, ready for that yet. So this is a promise of this device. This device then, um, I mean, there's an, an official placenta, artificial amniotic fluid, etc. So the idea is this is really, really similar, as similar as possible actually to the maternal womb, but it is external and yeah, it enables um, gestation outside of the human body. So you, you've partly answered this, but I wanted to ask, how is this artificial womb being used at the moment? Well, at the moment, we do not have it yet, actually. So at the moment, um, uh, a group of scientists at the University of Eindhoven here in the Netherlands is developing the first prototype of an artificial womb for humans. In 2017, scientists in the US have succeeded in transferring lab fetuses into a so-called bio bag, which comes close to this uh, artificial womb. And those lab fetuses all came out of this device healthy. That was seen as a great success and yeah, made scientists very hopeful that it will soon be able to also transfer human um, fetuses into an artificial womb. But the uh, scientists uh, who are now working on this, they expect the first and prototype to be ready by the end of this decade. So it's still a few years uh, to go. And they intended to be used in neonatal intensive care units. So um, yeah, specifically for um, preterms that are born between 22 and 24 weeks of gestation and who very often die or survive only with severe handicaps with the current technology. So their view is that with our incubators, we. We do not make any further progress. Preterm death is a really big problem and this artificial womb could solve this. Yeah, when you mentioned about the, the experimenting with the fetuses of lambs, do you know what age the, the fetus of the lamb was when they started to put it in there? I now unfortunately don't remember exactly, but I think it was more or less equivalent to these 22 to 24 weeks. Um, right. units. I, mean, okay. I think that I remember. So it really made them very hopeful. But it was, of course, towards the end, or at least, I mean, more than half of the time of gestation had already been passed. So they had been in, in their 
mother's womb for for a significant amount of time. Right. So what are some of the ethical issues of, of how this womb can be used in the future? Yeah, while these scientists were currently developing it, emphasized that it's only intended for like, this particular purpose, right? So, so as a replacement, basically, or an alternative to incubators, philosophers and ethicists have thought about, yeah, what about this technology would be used for other purposes? You could think of a risky pregnancy that you might want to like terminate earlier and you might want to transfer the fetus if possible into such a device. You could even think, of course, of the whole process of, pregnancy being somehow delegated. So you could think of uh, people having uh, IVF and then the um, embryo being transplanted into the, uh, into the artificial womb and then the whole process. This of course is not yet possible, but um, yeah, people have started thinking about what will that mean? So we, can, we have to distinguish this partial ectogestation, which is only part of the process is outside the maternal body and the full, which is clearly far further in the future. Um, but I think um, the history of technological developments uh, justifies us in, in, in taking this as a realistic possibility and thinking about what it would mean. So what are a number of ethical issues? Um, one is about medicalization. So already uh, the process of pregnancy and giving birth and everything, it's all, of course, very medicalized. Um, there is this desire to have more and more control over what happens um, to this, to the fetus, um, also because of worries about the health of the mother, of course. There is um, this desire to continuously monitor, and this, of course, would be more easily possible with an artificial womb. Um, but also, um, there is this view of the um, body of the mother as somehow a hostile environment, right? It, it can threaten you. Women are subject to very strict norms regarding what they are allowed to do, what they are allowed to eat or not. I mean, they shouldn't smoke, they shouldn't drink, they shouldn't eat certain things like raw fish or whatever. And also their moods are said to have an impact on the unborn child. So if they are very stressed, this can have negative effects and so on and so forth. So, um, in an artificial womb, of course, this would not be an issue. You could say, you could see this as a liberation of the woman. Um, she could do whatever she wants and it wouldn't affect the baby. Um, but or you can also, could also worry that this whole development would even yeah, create even like more rigid norms regarding what is acceptable, what not. There could be a pressure on women to actually make use of this technology. If natural pregnancy could, come to be seen as too risky, too dangerous, something crazy to do. I mean, it's interesting like that in, um, in the Netherlands, it's still very common to have home birth. In Germany and in many other countries, it is not at all. It's seen as far too risky and crazy. So the natural way, more natural way, it would be seen as well. <laughs> and yeah. Um, then of course you have the issue of um, gender equality, gender norms. So there is this, promise that this technology seems to have that we could completely rethink the role of the mother the father you can think of queer parenting multiple parenting there are all these of course forms that deviate from the like traditional view of mother father and then a child so it seems um, that and because you can imagine that you while the um, fetus is in the artificial womb there could be connections be made with different potential of future parents, right? So it would not, you could, of course, think about ways to connect the mother to the child in this 
device because you might say it's very important that we that there is this connection it is also this is more similar to the natural situation where the baby is in the womb but you can also think of connecting the father or just if there's a group of let's say three or four people together the parents of this child they could all perhaps be connected in some way so this gives room for rethinking our roles and also i, I think that partly due, or mainly due to the fact that um a baby is first nine months in, in, in the body of the mother, um, we see the mother as the main caregiver, the most important person in the life of that child, especially in the beginning. This is a very, I think, widely shared view, at least in, in Western societies. With this technology, you could imagine that, um, yeah, there is not really a reason to, to hold this view anymore because you can, others can connect from the beginning as well. There's not this special connection, this special role of the mother. Another issue might be the parent-child relationship. Um, that's of course related, but also the question, um, there is this a view that pregnancy actually prepares uh, women for becoming a parent, becoming a mother, because you already have to take into account like somebody else, there's somebody else inside you. And you, yeah, so you are somehow responsible for that. You need to adjust your way of living. And then the fear is that if this is not uh, there anymore, if it's all like happening outside of the body, then the mother will not be prepared at all. It will perhaps be overwhelmed by suddenly having to care for, for a little human being. Also, I mean, I don't want, I cannot go into all the issues, but there's also the issue, the question, what is the status of this being that has been transferred to this artificial womb. What, what is it actually? There is this discussion now in the literature, in bioethics, is it a newborn? Is it a fetus? Is it something else? Um, one philosopher, Elizabeth Romain, is, has suggested giving it a different name, calling it gestateling, from the notion of gestation, and emphasizing with this that it is actually significantly different from both newborns and fetuses, and it would be misleading to just call it either a newborn or fetus. And then you can wonder, um, depending on what your views are on the metaphysics of pregnancy, also the relationship in particular between the pregnant woman and the baby, um, if you conceive of this uh, as the, the baby as being part of its mother, so not just being contained in the mother, but really being part of it, the two like forming a union, then you might think that this baby um, in the artificial womb somehow forms a union with with this device. So yeah, so it is really interesting to think about this. And, and another question is, of course, um, when does, how do we understand birth? When does birth happen? Like are these uh, are fetuses that are first transferred into an artificial womb and then later come out of that, are they born twice? Does it count as birth that they leave the mother's body and go into this device? So all kinds of questions, also abortion, of course, um, is, is something that is affected by this uh, because you might think, yeah, you have the, the, the choice between um, aborting or just transferring the fetus into an artificial womb. So this changes the debate. So there are actually many, many interesting ethical issues, I think, and also metaphysical and ontological issues related to this technology. So do you think there would be consequences for the baby of not having that skin-on-skin -skin contact with the mother? This skin-on-skin -skin contact is, um, of course, particularly important, I think, immediately after babies have been born. This is very much emphasised. You, you put the naked baby on your naked body to, to have this very close 
And this, of course, could happen after a baby has left an artificial womb. But um, probably you, you can see, of course, the skin-on-skin -skin, um, contact as uh, uh, continuous with the situation before, where really the, there is no clear separation between the baby and the mother while it is in the womb, right? So they, they are really intimately connected the baby or the fetus can um, feel the heartbeat of the mother, can hear her voice, of course, also the father's voice, can hear, can feel the moods. So there's this really this unification. And um, this, yeah, I mean, that of course, must, I believe that this uh, has an important effect on the, on the development, the, the physical and uh, mental development of the, the fetus. And the question is really to what extent can this be replaced. I know that the scientists who are working on this prototype of the artificial womb are also taking this into consideration. They are thinking about how a connection can be established then between, in the first instance, probably the mother, but you might wonder also perhaps the father. But um, so there is, they see that this is something that is important. But the interesting thing, of course, also is that this can have both negative and positive effects, right? So because as I said, so if, um, if uh, a pregnant woman is stressed, then this is said to have a negative influence. And I remember my own experience when I was pregnant with my first daughter, when I had, for instance, fights with my partner and I was really stressed, I felt guilty because I thought, this is now bad for the child. And then I was even more stressed because... <laughs> um, and on the other hand, of course, um, it definitely is also so important, has these positive effects. But so if ideally, if you could create this artificial um, environment where there would be contact, there would be connection, but perhaps the negative influences could be like <laughs> excluded and you could try to create a more positive environment that might, could have positive um, effects. Um, but yeah, I must say, I am worried about this point. I think that this intimate relationship is so important and I wonder what effects it would have on later also on the relationship that the baby would have to their parents and their general abilities to have social relationships to relate to others it seems very plausible intuitively that it could have negative effects if it's uh, has developed in this device Yes, I could see that. But uh, would an artificial womb change the concept of personhood? Yeah, I think um, this is one of the concepts that it challenges. I think it challenges a number of fundamental concepts, like, concept, like the concept of birth, um, the concept of a mother, uh, and so forth, and also personhood. Um, that relates also to the point that I've already made about what is this being, what status does it have, this being in the artificial womb that Elizabeth Romanus suggests calling a gestateling. Um, we can imagine that it would be treated by doctors as a patient in its own right. We have now, um, within our research project, we have uh, started developing so-called techno-moral scenarios, the future scenarios in which this technology is already more developed than it is now and where it is actually used. And then um, one of the features of this scenario that uh, we have written is that doctors indeed treat the patient, uh, the, the, this um, being in the womb, in the artificial womb as a patient in its own right. And so try to give it the best care that for instance, doctors could decide to intervene 
to release some medication into this, uh, into the artificial placenta, for instance, without even asking the parents, because they would feel that this is now like a person, a patient, um, and we will like treat it as we would treat other patients and not, uh, we don't think that it's completely like the mother who, who has to decide uh, everything, it has to be asked first. And this relates to the question of when is such a being born? When does, when does human life, and you could say personhood start? Is it at the moment where it leaves the body of the mother or is it at the moment where it leaves the artificial womb? So that is indeed, I think, and this is one of, one of the main research aims of the whole program, this about the ethics of social disruptive technologies is to try to understand how new and emerging technologies challenge fundamental concepts like personhood, like agency, also the concept of the human being, like the concept of birth. And I think our project about the artificial womb um, contributes to this because a number of concepts are at stake. Here. And then the question is, do we need to rethink our concepts? Do we like, perhaps even want to actively change them? That's this notion of conceptual engineering, because to some extent you might say it just happens, concepts change over time, but can we also actively um, influence this process. Could an artificial womb affect the debate about reproduction rights? Yes, um, I believe so. I mean, that of course, I mean, it depends, of course, how it would be used. I already distinguished different like, ways of using it. And the most, like, one most far into the future is the one, the idea that the whole process, like, you would have IVF and then. Um, well, I mean, um, pro-abortion um, um, activists um, would lose some arguments if the artificial womb became a reality, because you could say, well, as a, as a woman and you're pregnant, you could, you don't, wouldn't have to be continue the pregnancy and have a baby. Um, you could just transfer this baby to an artificial womb, and then it could, for instance, be... Uh, adopted by someone, something open for adoption. So um, certain arguments would not work anymore. So then the question is, what would that mean? Or how would it? Yeah, yeah. To what extent can you still do? You still have sufficient reasons for saying, well, nevertheless, um, it should be possible for pregnant women to have an abortion, just to decide that they do not want to become biological parents, mothers. Um, although you cannot say anymore that this is um, has an impact on it's their own body, because the baby indeed doesn't have to be necessarily part of their body. It can be removed from their body and still continue the process of development. So I think this is a decisive change uh, of that debate. And there is actually quite some literature um, on this, but it's also a, a debate on its own. So in our project, we have bracketed this a little bit because we thought it's a whole own debate. So we have focused on other aspects. But certainly in this, it is, um, it is something that philosophers already think about, speculate about how it would influence this debate. Yeah, you mentioned before if, um, you know, for example, if a woman kept on having miscarriages and the, and the baby looked as if it was, you know, going to be miscarried again, there would be a benefit from the baby spending most of the time in an artificial womb because it would give it a, a higher chance of survival. Do you think there's any other benefits to uh, baby spending, you know, uh, most, of, most of the time 
in an artificial womb? Yeah, I, I, I can mainly um, imagine it to be beneficial in contexts where um, indeed <laughs> the maternal womb is a hostile environment for the baby and also where, where um, the mother's health is really at risk. So in those contexts, um, I think it could be beneficial given that, I mean, only under the yeah, precondition that a lot of things have been taken into consideration and taken care of so that it's, this whole fact that it, it's in the artificial womb doesn't have really detrimental effects to its cognitive development, um, psychological development. That's, of course, very important. But And, of course, um, you could think that it has the benefit uh, for women not to have to carry the burdens of pregnancy anymore. Now, this is, again, also something that is experienced very differently. So for myself, I really enjoyed being pregnant but I was also very lucky so I have two daughters and everything went well I mean of course little complications but in general like yeah I experienced this is a very wonderful meaningful experience but I know that this is not the reality for all women so many women experience it as a big burden they hate being pregnant and some just hate it but others also really yeah their, their life was threatened so the baby's life can be threatened, the mother's life can be threatened. Um, and of course, it has a lot of effects on, on, on social life, especially if you think of the like um, employment <laughs> market. So it's of course still the case that women um, are sometimes not hired because of the risk of them becoming getting pregnant or they are fired <laughs> because they are pregnant. I mean, this is of course normally in many countries, this is not allowed, but still it happens. It can be very hard to, to, to fulfill your professional duties, to continue your job while being pregnant, depending on how much pregnancy influences your yeah, well-being. So in that respect, you could say it can have these positive um, effects. But if you ask about the effects for the baby itself, I think, yeah, that really presupposes that it's possible to compensate for the positive effect that it has that being part of the maternal body in a way so this close connection this yeah I mean they are one basically I mean at least in a certain view you could say that they are one they, they are not separate I mean this is probably also supported by um, the fact that uh, a baby after it has been born like it's a development that a baby or not even a baby but like an infant at some point is able to see itself as a separate being right in the beginning I think they cannot they do not see themselves as separate from the mother. That is something that has to first uh, develop. So this is really, it seems to be really a unity. And so what effects does it have if you disunite them? That might sound really scary to do this. Mm, yes, it could. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered? Um, yeah, perhaps just to share with you that the what I'm really excited about now about my own research is that we are having this collaboration with a speculative designer and that we are organizing uh, workshops with stakeholders where we, on the one hand, um, present uh, sort of these technomoral scenarios. We look into the future um, and, and think about how, what could, how could this influence um, yeah, practices and moral norms. And at the same time, also we create something tangible, or the designer creates something tangible that the, the participants interact with. So the aim is to stimulate their imagination, really, and then to, to yeah, to, to create a different uh, discussion. 
And we have now uh, tried this with some students of mine. Um, and that was really amazing. So the students really enjoyed this and they also, yeah, confirmed that it changed the way they thought about this. So not just, of course, normally in philosophy classes, you would just, they would read papers about the artificial womb and, and then you would just talk about it and about the concepts. But in such a setting, they, they had to make collages um, trying to, to visualize or imagine the ways in which you could be connected to this artificial womb. And yeah, that's all that was what's really, really stimulating. So I enjoyed this to, as a philosopher to be able now to try to develop new methods of, of teaching, of researching. And the aim is really to anticipate um, the disruptive potential, the disruptive effects of this technology. And then of course, also to somehow guide it so that it, we will yeah, move towards a desirable future and just not, not just any possible future. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It was really nice to talk to you. And I've been speaking with Dr. Julia Herman about the ethics of socially disruptive technologies. Well, that's all we have time for today. Hope you've enjoyed the program and do stay tuned for Swing and Sway.